Today I'm joined by Hamish Douglas, who is the manager of the International Equity Fund. Welcome, Hamish. Um, now, you've, you've been travelling a lot, you always travel a lot. You believe it's important to go and visit the companies uh, that you're investing in, as it were, to kick the tyres. Uh, tell us why you believe that's important. Well, it's more than kicking the tyres, Tony, uh, at the end of the day. We're running a concentrated uh, global equity uh, uh, fund with around 25 investments. Often we have large investment stakes. We may have in total across our total business, including the St. James's Place business, maybe a billion US dollars invested in an individual company. And therefore meeting management and understanding uh, what their strategies are, how their incentive compensation uh, works and how they describe it in their own words. It does involve a lot of travelling then and we thank you for joining us today in that respect. So I, I want to ask you about your portfolio allocation. Uh, you've spoken recently about cutting back exposure to what you describe as expensive defensives. What do you mean by that? Well, we, we run two portfolios, Tony. Well, one is a very defensive portfolio in our, in our asset allocation. It typically would sit about half of our portfolio would be in businesses like Nestle and Unilever and Coca-Cola and Colgate, maybe McDonald's. Uh, we have halved that allocation. It's now sitting at 25% of our portfolio today. Historically, it's sat at 50%. The reason we have is because the prices of these businesses have become pretty expensive. That's why we call them the expensive defensives. They've gone from around maybe 15 or 16 times forward earnings uh, to maybe 21 to 22 times forward earnings. And they're on any historical measure, uh, they're very expensive and reflecting this very low bond rate environment we find ourselves in at the moment. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, but, but talking about rough rides, banks seem to have had a, a rough ride. The banking sector seems to have had a rough ride uh, uh, recently. Uh, what's your view of banks in general? And then I'm gonna come on and ask you about Lloyds. Well, I, I think it's very hard to generalise on, on, on banks. There are good banks and there are bad banks in the world and because banks are very highly leveraged, mm -hmm. often leveraged at 20 times to one equity. So when you've got a very leveraged financial institution, it really depends upon the nature of their franchise and their customers and their loan books and their deposit books. And therefore, I wouldn't want to generalise banks in, in general. We will only want to invest in the very best banking franchises with very strong capital and liquidity uh, positions, obviously, and we'd like to have strong underlying retail franchises in them. Okay. So, so what's your thesis on, on Lloyd's then? Well, Lloyd's, uh, during the financial crisis, uh, bought HBOS and, and they had international operations, were very highly leveraged, had very thin capital buffers, and it was a very difficult period for Lloyd's. But the new management has come on board and has fundamentally turned around the bank. We're not yet seeing it in reported earnings because we're still working our way through some of the old legacy issues, particularly the PPI insurance issue here in the UK. But we're getting near the, near the end of that and you're going to end up seeing a position in an industry structure that we think is pretty attractive. The top six banks in the UK hold 80% of the market. Lloyd's is clearly the number one player. Now they have 20% of deposits and over 20% of mortgages. Uh, in this market. They've got a world-leading cost-to-income ratio now. And, and when we look at the bank now, it's got very strong capital and liquidity positions. And shortly, in the next 18 months or so, we're going to see reported earnings. They're going to be past the legacy issues. And when we do see that, this bank is going to be earning a very substantial 
amount of income and in our view it's trading at around nine times earnings at the moment and when we get past these legacy issues it's going to start paying a very substantial dividend and we would we would say that there's a very high likelihood with that dividend that will start getting paid uh, that the share price will re-rate and we'll end up with the dividend and the re-rating of the share price we'll get a very decent return in holding we would regard the best bank in the UK. Okay. Your cash position has been gradually growing through 2015. Does that mean you are seeing fewer opportunities out there in the, in the global markets? Really, it's a combination of two things, Tony. Uh, we, we started in August last year when we went to 10% cash in our strategy and we moved it to around 15% cash in April this year. It's a combination between finding fewer opportunities available uh, to us and the markets have become a lot more expensive in the last uh, few years. I don't think anyone can hide behind that fact and as markets go up in price therefore there has to be less available opportunities. We still are finding opportunities that are attractive but there are fewer of them. And the other reason we've gone to cash is we're on the verge of a, of a tightening interest rate cycle, mm -hmm. particularly in the United States. And when interest rates start to tighten in the United States over the next few years, that could start to put some pressure on some share prices that have become quite expensive at the moment. We're agreed then that uh, uh, interest rates in the US will eventually increase, yes? Yes. Okay. Uh, in that case, what parts of your portfolio are already in position in order to take advantage of that? Well, we've got some obvious things in our portfolio. We've got some large banking institutions that, that we own in the United States that are actually very sensitive to the shape of the yield curve. Wells Fargo, which is quite a large position, is sensitive to the whole yield curve lifting up and particularly long-term rates going up. And then we own Bank of New York and State Street, the two leading custodian bank in, banks in the world, who are sensitive to short-term interest rates in the United States going up. So both those all those three banking institutions, we think their earnings will do pretty well as rates rise. One area that, that people probably don't focus on is we, we've got quite a, large, a lot of exposure to old-fashioned technology companies. Companies, our largest position is Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And we own Oracle. Uh, and we own PayPal. The, the, these companies hold enormous amounts of US dollar cash. It may not all be held in the United States, but it's held in US dollars and when short-term interest rates start to go up and you're sitting on tens of billions of dollars of cash, these companies will be earning a lot more on their investment assets than they've earned in the past and we don't think that's been recognised by the market at the moment that effectively values that cash at zero. Hamish, it must be obvious to you that I'm old enough to remember the word Woolworths on our high streets in the UK. You've invested in Woolworths. I thought they'd disappeared for, forever. Well, they, they haven't in Australia, uh, uh, Tony. Uh, Woolworths, uh, Woolworths in Australia is Australia's uh, leading grocery uh, retailer with around 35 to 40% of the Australian uh, market. It's actually an oligopoly. There's two main players, Coles and Woolworths. Between them, they hold around 70% of the market. The Australian industry has some of the highest margins and highest returns on equity in the world in grocery retailing. And Woolworths has come back materially in share price in the last six to 12 months, and we're bought off the back of that share price. They made some strategic errors last year around some pricing decisions uh, they made, which has 
harm their short-term profitability and, and we're looking to the long-term in the industry structure there for a very attractive industry in investing in one of the leading retailers in Australia. Uh, you were appointed to the Investment Committee at St James's Place some three years ago and you described the process I believed as rigorous. Uh, have your expectations of the monitoring process similarly lived up to expectations? Well, they have. I, I would say the St James Place monitoring process is probably the most rigorous of any process we go with any clients uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, they use a consultant, Stanford Associates, that many of the partners will be uh, aware of. I've actually got a uh, drilling by Stanford Associates when I'm here this week in, in London, and it, it's a very long list of questions they want, to, uh, they want to go through. They just don't want to understand the investments. They want to understand the reasons why and our psychology and what makes us, how we're thinking about things and how our team interacts with each other and, and changes in personnel in the, in the business. And then after that, I've got a completely separate uh, session with the investment committee of St. James's Place. But, but it is, I, I regard it as a partnership. It, it's very open, uh, it's very uh, uh, rigorous, and they're not trying to catch you out. Mm -hmm. uh, they really want to understand uh, what you're doing in, in, in your decision making. In that case, on that note, Hamish, thank you very much indeed for joining us. A pleasure, Tony. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.